We'll send. And welcome back to another week of the Lockcast from Trinity Road Times. The whole crew with us this week, Trey, Joel, Assad, and Alec. When we're joined by a guest this week, uh, none other than Brian Geisinger is with us. He writes for uh, the AC, writes ACC basketball for 247 Sports and SB Nation. Did I get that right? I, I think I botched that a little bit, but... No, it's good enough. I, I'm, uh, I'm low maintenance, man. Uh, you got the name right, which is like... Uh, but I can tell you've got a good you like you you're in the Midwest I think so yeah you know, Geisinger it's it'll roll off the tongue easier when you when you're close to the Great Lakes I think yeah, that's like. that's far from the most Midwestern <laughs> name I've heard but uh, but yeah so. perfect but, uh, we, we 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 know that you probably have a, a lot to write about about this year's NC State basketball team because uh, uh, there were a lot of Tom Petty gifts last night because things are kind of free falling right now <laughs> yeah. Uh, Last night was really bad. Um, and amazingly, they almost won it. I mean, like Casey Morsell almost made one of like the greatest shots in the history of of state. And like state also went to overtime. I, I know this Virginia team is, um, you know, has fallen short of preseason expectations or where they were. You know, like around like late November, early December, they beat Florida. They beat Texas A and M. Um, but but they're they they've really struggled offensively. But to 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 uh, to go on the road and almost beat a team that has you know mul- there's multiple NBA players on UVA's roster. Like Beekman and Dunn are are mm-hmm. draft picks. Dunn's probably a first round pick if he comes out. Um, so like on paper that doesn't sound so bad. But then it's just like any other context of having watched the game. Like you know how tough it was. And like I think it's also disappointing because it just looks like a lot of other like some of the it looked like a couple of the other losses states had this season specifically like the Ole Miss game and the UNC games um when the offense is just totally stuck in the mud the ball is stuck on one side of the court there's not enough movement the pick and roll sets aren't hitting um you know they're going they're they're just pushing the post up DJ Burns button non-stop but they get single coverage last night in the post and, you know, Burns is able to hit some baskets. He's, he's really good. Like DJ's obviously a very talented low post player, but with Jordan minor now installed in the lineup for Virginia, they've got some muscle and some size in the front court and they've got, they have him play single coverage on DJ Burns. And so that allows the other four defenders to stay home on NC state's shooters and cutters. And so all of a sudden it's now just Burns going one-on-one in the post against a, you know, strong veteran defender. And he's able to score on that sometimes, but often those are going to be contested mid-range shots. Not DJ Burns kicking out to a weak side shooter for a catch and shoot three. Not him hitting Dennis Parker for a cut cut bucket in the dunker spot. Like the way State gets to the rim in the half court is through Burns post-ups when a double team comes and he's able to like get going as a passer. Like that's their best way to like create an advantage because they've got like a bunch of good guards on the team, but like no one who's like set up to be a Jarkel Terquavion style, like, you know, uh, pick and roll a one score um, who can then also like, you know, get rolling as like a passer, like Horn can get hot. Marcel can get hot. Um, but those guys, like they're 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 just they're pretty limited in terms of like passing and sort of like overall like downhill live ball decision making and, and playmaking. So um, 
you know, you you see a different defense than State saw the other week against UNC. Like Virginia guards pick and roll differently. You know, they're not going to be playing drop coverage. They're going to have their their fours and fives hedging out on ball screens. Um, State couldn't turn the corner. They never turned the corner. Um, they never got downhill. They never got into the paint. Once again, they didn't bend or move Virginia's defense. And instead, they had to end up settling for a lot of contested two-point shots in this game. They go, what was it? Yeah, 18 of 49 on twos. They shot, what, six free throws in this game? They made four threes. It was a disaster offensive performance. And and really all they had down the stretch was you would just see them run a little cross screen to get Burns to the right block, throw it into him, and just like hope that Virginia would send a double team so you could get some movement going. And um, so that was uh, disappointing to see. And uh, yeah, not like a... Uh, a great offensive performance. In fact, yeah, bottom three offensive performance in terms of points per possession for state last night at Virginia. So pretty, uh, pretty poor showing. And um, I guess the one thing that you do worry is sort of like, depending, I guess it sort of depends on your like hope level for state this year, but like, like is the formula out for how you're supposed to cover this team now? Um, which is just like single cover burns. Um and like he can get hot and destroy that. Like they, they one of the the win over Wake last season, he 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 like he won the game almost single handedly because he just he beat up Matthew Marsh in in one on one low post uh, offense. But just like we'll see now, like do teams now make make it a point to single to single coverage Burns not send the double and try to stay home on states, uh, you know, guards and cutters and shooters. That's something that that I was wondering about earlier in the season because it was clear pretty early on that state didn't have initiators on the perimeter is um you know when our team's just gonna just gonna man up on burns and, and not double him and say okay we'll, we'll beat us because you know i mean he's, you know, he's gonna make a decent number of those shots but i don't think he's gonna make enough to win the game and he's gonna wear out eventually too mm-hmm. uh, yeah i, I, I yeah. was expecting to see that at some point i think that was the first the first game i saw or they didn't bring, I don't think they brought a single double the whole game, or at least they didn't in the first half. Um, but, you know, that's kind of been the conversation around here is, is the big the big bugaboo is there's no guards that can that can really yeah. get downhill. There was a play that stuck out to me last night. It was actually a rare miscommunication on a screen coverage for Virginia where it looked like the big was, was going to ice the screen and the, um, the guard went over the top and there was no one covering it and, and – Breon pass had the ball and he just passed out of it. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't ever turn the corner and they got nothing going coming downhill out of the screen. And I think yeah, that much it, every guard. And that's a tough spot. Like you know, Breon's obviously been put in a tough spot. Like he's, I mean, in last night, I mean, Keats was just throwing stuff at the wall, just you know, playing Breon pass and L.J. Thomas, you know, seemingly almost out of nowhere in what's been a pretty crowded guard rotation this season. Um, I. Like I think anyone who followed state and was keeping up with like the guys they added in the transfer portal, it was like last off season. It was like it was encouraging to see them go out and get several good veteran guards: O'Connell, uh, Horn, you know, you knew was a big time shooter, and and Jaden Taylor, who they played against last season, and excuse me, an excellent transition finisher and a very good like on ball point of attack defender. And I think all of that stuff has like 
shown up for state this year. I think those guys have like contributed pretty well, but it was obvious that they didn't go out and get a dark L joiner in the portal. Like you, you can't, you could like, I guess if you wanted to squint at DJ horn, you could have thought that, but he doesn't have the same like pop, obviously yeah. like Jarkel's got a different, like another gear he can kick it into. Um, both in terms of like getting all the way to the rim, getting downhill in transition and just like creating separation with the ball one-on-one or in the pick and roll like Jarkel. And I mean, obviously Terquavion had that too. Um, those guys were, that was like the strength of the team last year is they had two of those guys who could force opponents to put two on the ball. Um, and now they don't have, they don't have any of that this year. Like unless DJ like Horn really gets rolling, which we saw some down the stretch against Wake Forest and Wake started hedging some of those screens late in the game. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I was like a little encouraged early in the season and it came with like the non-conference small sample sized caveat, which is always important to mention, but like state was getting into its secondary offense and O'Connell was huge for that. So you were seeing them, you know, uh, push after makes or push after misses. And I liked them getting into just early offense and just playing a little faster. And the, one of the other things they were really getting into, and I think this is like carried over some during conference play, but it's been like when, whenever they start just posting up a lot, they go away from this. But I like them when they go to like five outlooks and they give the ball to either Burns or Middlebrooks in the middle of the court. And then they have those guys initiate the offense by getting into a handoff with one of the guards and then flowing into a pick and roll from there. I sort of liked that because it got the defense moving a little bit. It got State's guards running before going into the handoff, so before they use the screen. So it's like a little less flat. It's a little less static. Um, and I think they've used some of that. It just has not – I don't think they've used it as much. I think they should use it more. And I don't think – even when they are going to it, like it's not – it doesn't have quite the same sort of like pop or like juice that you would you would hope from it. And then, like, I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, you have a game like that last night where they can't score, you know, they can't set up the press. And, like, that for them is sort of, like, the lifeblood of this team. Like, it's a pretty good defensive team. Um, They've got, like, legitimate good defensive personnel. They force a ton of turnovers with the press. um, And that allows them to not have to play a half-court game, which is, like, they really need that because, like, as soon as this thing turns into a half-court slog, it's just going to become post-up ball for Burns. And there's just not that high of a ceiling um, on that type of offense, especially if teams are going to be able to stay at home and, and guard it one-on-one. Yeah, I think um, it might have been even the, the very first possession of the game where UVA had, I think, four attempts at the ball. It was just one offensive rebound after another. It, it really didn't bode well for how the rest of the game was going to go because they're just getting... Uh, killed on the glass um, and it, it really seemed sometimes you have those games where it just feels like the, bo- the ball is not bouncing their way but it just seemed like UVA had more uh, energy and more urgency to get into the passing lanes get deflections get the ball I I do think that they got a lot of home cooking with the way the calls were going you know the for them to only get called I think it was seven total fouls in the game something like that uh that's that's it is kind of ridiculous but (laughs) um you know the the you know the offensive efficiency right now state is second to last in the conference um it's you know it's it hasn't really been this bad 
in, in the Keats era. And even in other seasons when it seemed like the offense was kind of trudging along, it seems even even worse now um, to watch them come back with such fervor near the end of regulation and claw their way back in the game with the second line for the most part and then put Burns back in the game in overtime and, and spend several possessions in a row just trying to force the ball back down to him. It really felt like they just went away from what got them back into the game. And then, um, yeah, Burns did hit a, a clutch shot, <clears throat> the, the second last shot that he hit, and then you know, you know credit to O'Connell for getting that rebound right at the end and, and forcing overtime. But, um, you know, the 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 play of the game to me was when State salted an entire shot, shot clock just trying to get the ball into Burns. And it was just like a full 30 seconds, just like try to get it in, try to get it, try to get it, try to get it. And then like, and then that it was just a, a wasted possession. And then UVA went right back down and scored. So um, it was, it just became a little bit difficult to watch. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like when Middlebrooks is in, um, you know, they're more mobile defensively um, with, with Ben. They can do more stuff guarding the pick and roll. Um, and they, they can put some pretty good defensive lineups on the court with, you know, especially, I mean, both of state's power forwards, DPJ and Diara, like both those guys are really nice players. I really like both those guys quite a bit. They've got, both of them are like very good rebounders, two A rebounders and strong defenders in my opinion. Um, so when you pair them with like a pretty mobile center, not like Middlebrooks is like, you know, this amazing defender, but he tries hard and he's huge. So like, that's a pretty good combination. It also means he creates, he commits a lot of fouls, I guess, too. But um, although he might get one of the toughest whistles <laughs> in the <laughs> ACC, too. Uh, it has for probably a few years now. But, um, you know, I do think the ball moves a little bit more with Middlebrooks. Like he's more of a handoff guy. Um, you know, you do wish he could like pick and pop, but you know, he doesn't really offer much stretch, but like, even when he runs, even when state runs pick and roll with Middlebrooks, like, even if he doesn't roll downhill to the rim, if he pops out and the guard for state throws it to him, it's not like he's going to hold the ball and start to pound it. Like he's immediately going to dribble it to the other side of the court and try to launch it to a handoff with one of the other guards on that side. So you're at least making the defense move guard multiple sides of the court, guard multiple screening actions and exchanges. Um, so it gives them a little bit more variety, even if like, you know, the Burns post up is sort of like one of state's best, like high volume, you know, offensive play types. It is just interesting too, because like state, like before the arrival of Burns, state like never posted up, like almost never. Like they were, mm -hmm. they were so like transition or like spread pick and roll transition spread pick and roll and they were like the ACC's like ultimate like high volume you know pick and roll frequency offense for the first probably like five years or so of Keats and and then Burns showed up and like yeah they just have these possessions like the there was one of the games like late last season against Clemson when they had one of the really bad losses to them where it was like they were spending these 30 second half court possessions with just like 20 seconds of like a burns back down while everyone inside PNC arena just sort of like stared at him. Um, <laughs> it's it's so it's a little strange. Cause it's just like, I thought the burns post up heading into last season 
I wrote about this. I thought the Burns post up was going to be like their off speed pitch, you know, like this is going to be this pick and roll team. And then like Burns will come in off the bench. Cause I thought, you know, Mahorchich and he started last year too for the injury. And then like Burns is going to come in and do like Al Jefferson style. Like, yo, you run some of the second unit offense through Burns and like he gets some post ups, he gets some cutters. And then like, but then now it's just without it became a very important play type for them last year. Then you lose your two best guards. You don't really replace them. And now like that's just taken on such elevated importance for state. And like, they're going to have to, they're just going to have to like get off that because it's like, it just can't, it can't be the crutch. It's not, it's not powerful enough to be the thing that like, uh, is like the base of their offense. And yeah, in conference play, uh, they're second to last in three-point attempt rate, second to last in assist rate, and they're dead last uh, in effective shooting. They're also second to last in three-point percentage too. Like, yeah, the math is not the math is bad, and yeah. um, the context doesn't make isn't much better either. The guard play this year is just exactly opposite of what it was last year, as far as what we have, as far as getting to the rim and and creating plays, and I think. <clears throat> I think when we have in transition, uh, I agree with Brian. O'Connell does a really good job in the secondary break as far as getting the out because he sees the court very well. Uh, I don't think that works with the other ones nearly as well. Um, and then, you know, it's just, it's just, we just can't, we, we just don't make the shots that we need to. But when you're taking that many long two point shots, you're not going to, you're not going to come out very well. That's just not the formula to win anymore. So, um, uh, you know, we have some people that can shoot, but they're mostly spot-up shooters. We talked about that before. So, um, and, and you're right, Burns, if we do the, you know, if we just post him up all the time, that's just not going to work. That's just not going to be enough for us to win. It's the worst part in basketball. Yeah, and in part, too, like, Burns, as talented as he is, is a low-post guy because he's got this great shooting touch out to, you know, 17, 18 feet. And because he's a, like, he's a pretty clever passer, he, like, has a good sense for for double teams but like he is also not a like his post-up game is not like you know armando baycott or zach Eady. like those guys that will just like are going to put your opposing center like underneath the rim and then score what i'm trying to say is he doesn't draw a ton of fouls and look like maybe dj gets like a tough whistle at times i think there's like a case to be made for that but the fact of the matter is he draws like three fouls per 40 minutes I think was what the number was heading into the game last night. I'm not sure what that's been updated to probably not much given how little UVA fouled, but it's like, if that's your, if that's the hub of you for offense, that's going to be your highest usage guy. And he's only drawn that many fouls. Like, I mean, granted, he's not turning the ball over a lot, but that just means it's a lot of like, it's a lot of hook shots. It's a lot of like fadeaways from 15 feet. Um, and that's not like really like a great, um, sort of like shot chart to subsist of. So yeah. And like, I think I like Joel, I agree. Like I think O'Connell's been, I think his like pace and playmaking has been really good. I really like what he's done as a, like a connecting passer in the half court. Uh, he moves without the ball. He, he, you know, the putback basket last night to send into overtime wasn't an accident. He cuts. Um, he's just like a, a, like a, he's just a good player. Um, but because he's not like a great shooter, he's like he's just like a little limited with the ball in the half court, um, and uh, which doesn't mean like he's still like a, a nice like a nice you know two way guard, but um, 
it's not like he has the ability to just sort of like unlock a defense with a with a ball screen. Like that's not that's not what he does, and that's not what he did at Stanford. Like if you watched any of him playing out there, you know, it looked a lot like this too. So Brian, I wanted your take on something that I've noticed a lot with State when they see the hedges, um, and I think they've seen them in I think it was your three or four of this, the seven most recent ACC games was the primary coverage. Um, when, you, when you see teams that attack that really well, right, you see, obviously State can't pick and pop, right, but you see, you know, your pocket passes and you see your splits. And, and when you watch State, you never see any of that ever. Um, and it's a lot of into a secondary action or, or just a full reset. So you know, is that just a lack of, of pop from the guards? Or, you know, what, what do you think is causing them to struggle so much to attack that? I think I think that's part of it. I do think like in Middlebrook should be able to do this, and I think if you, you know, if he was maybe playing a little bit more, it'd be like less of a thing. But it's like what you'd also like is to have like a mobile center that can slip the screen. Like that's all. Like this, that's one of the counters teams have used against Virginia's defense for years. It's like if they want to go out and hedge that screen, so all of a sudden like the you know the Virginia center is going to be twenty five feet from the hoop hedging a ball screen well if you can slip the offensive center like instead of setting the screen you slip and get downhill quickly so you're moving to the bat so the send the offensive center is moving towards the basket as the defensive center is moving away from the rim to hedge if you can slip that screen then hit a pocket pass to those guys like even if they can't get all the way downhill if they can like catch on the short roll they catch in space then they can make a play. Then all of a sudden, State has a four on three in the half court. Um, and Middlebrooks is like pretty good at doing that. Um, you wish Burns would be able to. Like he's he's such a good passer. You'd love for him to like be a short roll guy. But like, um, you know, whether it's like a movement thing or a comfort level thing, like he just doesn't like screen and dive like that hard or or slip quickly. Um, and so just like it's hard for state to create like any sort of like real advantage at that, like initial mesh point when there is a hedge, because like they're not able to like capitalize within that, like first half second to second. And then a team like Virginia that it like, it's just like built into their brains. They're hedging screens. It's their primary coverage. The vast majority of the time, like that's too long for them. And like, they, they can like hedge and recover. It also helps like, yeah, I mean, Virginia specifically has guys like Dunn and Beekman flying around. Like, you know, they've got they've got help defenders that are terrifying. So, um, and and can like really like you know make life difficult if you try to like skip it over the top. So, um, State's done some good stuff against the hedge. Like when they beat Virginia in Raleigh earlier this year, I, I've touched on this. Um, but they ran uh like what an action that I, that I quite like against the hedge, which is you can either call it like Ram or wedge pick and roll. And it's basically, it's a screen, the screener action where you'll have more as the play is starting. More is going to set an off ball screen for either Middlebrooks or Burns. Whoever's playing center more or one of the other guards will set a screen on the opposing big man defender. And after that happens, Burns or Middlebrooks will sprint up to the ball handler, you know, if it's O'Connell, if it's Taylor, if it's Horn, and then they're going to try to sprint up and set a screen for the guard. But as that's happening, their defender has been screened too. So like 
their defender should be like a step or so behind the plate, and then they're going to try to hedge out. So you you kind of buy a little bit more time, or or the or the the opposing defensive center isn't quite is like again they're a half step behind the play. So like the point guard has an extra second to sort of turn the corner before they can hedge. That play was huge for them. Um, in in Raleigh, like they ran it probably like six or seven times and got buckets on it several times during the win. Um, and used it to to open up stuff for DJ Horn. And uh, I have not rewatched the game from last night or the the midweek game, uh, the loss in Charlottesville yet. So they tried it last night; it just didn't work. And I I would need to sort of like you know sort of like dig through and and see sort of like why that didn't hit. There's stuff you can do. Like there are there are counters to attack this this screen or this this sort of like this coverage. It just requires, I think, some kind of like scripted pre-screen action. It requires a little bit of like burst in pace from your lead ball handler, or you need your uh, center to be like willing to like screen and dive quickly or slip quickly, and then like have the ability to like make reads in those pockets of space, or finally would be just like you got to be able to like because if they're going to hedge the screen defender it means one of the help defenders on the back side usually it's the uh, the other front court player they've got to come off their guy to get to the middle of the court to help against the guy, the the now unguarded player that's rolling to the rim and if you can move it faster, like pass the ball quickly on the backside, sometimes you can catch it, one of those coverages in rotation and capitalize on that um, because the opposing four is going to have to, you know, they're going to tag the opposing center that's diving, then they've got to recover back out. Um, the other thing would be like if you could have some shooting at the four position, then yeah. it's harder for that opposing, you know, help, you know, sort of like rotating four or five it's harder for them to like close back out to the corner as opposed to like back to like the dunker spot you know along the baseline um and like i mean like dennis parker has like you know i think he's like you know probably what like low 30s on threes but like i you know i don't think he's like really causing too much concern um you know this is not the like torin dorn you know jericho hellums like catch and shoot you know four state doesn't have someone like that um right now um so they've got some tools, but they are limited in ways that that kind of coverage could also um, be difficult for them to exploit. Yeah, I saw them do that. They did a lot of slipping against Virginia Tech, and I don't, I don't think it ever amount. I don't recall it ever amounting to too much. And um, yeah, I mean, I was talking about this a lot, and I, I posted something on Twitter about the assist rates versus hedging defenses versus when they've seen drop coverage and how much higher it's been. I, I kind of expected them to have a little more in the tank last night against that because I think it was since the first six ACC games against teams that primarily were playing drop coverage, this rate was 31% and the shooting percentages were down. But, you know, you mentioned like 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 the skip passes to the to the corner to attack the uh, rotating tag or something. O'Connell did really well, I thought, in the first Virginia game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it just seemed yeah. like they were a lot more glued together on defense last night. Yeah, they're pl- I mean, Virginia's played better the last like, you know, week and a half, two weeks too. Um O'Connell is the best bet as far as the guards to kind of hit those skip looks over the top. Um and uh Yeah, the like, you know, obviously like drop coverage is like designed to sort of like encourage opposing 
you know, offenses to take pull up twos. Like you're you're kind of like giving them that shot to an extent. Um and and state, you know, really made Wake pay, pay with kind of like an outlier shooting performance in that game. Um, not so much against UNC. I do think I do think like again, the three worst offensive games that state has had, Mississippi, UNC, and then UVA last night. They were teams that could also guard Burns one-on-one in the post. And again, like I was sort of saying at the top, that takes away some of State's sort of like best like random half-court movement. And let, you know, when Burns gets to pick out cutters for, again, because like those things turn into shots at the rim and threes, like spot-up threes. These are the best shots you could possibly get. Um, And in those games, in those three games, uh, Burns had, I think, no assists against Mississippi and then one assist in each game against Virginia and UNC. Um, and so, again, I just, like, I do sort of worry that there is a bit of a blueprint to, you can bottle up State's pick and roll guys in a few different ways, but, like, as far as, like, you know, cutting down the sort of, like, random movement um, that's really going to allow them to get, like, their best looks in the half court, like, there might be there might be like a bit of a blueprint uh, for for how you can do that, and it sort of depends on what your own personnel. You know, you've got to have like a guy that's like tough enough to hang with Burns one on one, which is you know no walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. So where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, once I get off with you guys, I'm gonna go eat some ice cream, and then <laughs> I'm gonna watch some NBA. So, I, I, as far as Kevin Keats, I don't know where he's gonna go. Um, well, where do we go? State basketball. That's what uh, I meant. Yeah, no, I, I know, I know. I, um, I mean, I think there's some. I think they could try, like, like tinkering with the lineups a little bit. Like, I think that's a possibility. Like, maybe you get O'Connell in with the starters. And, and you try to you let even when we talked on some of his like limitations in the half court, but just like his movement, his passing, his pace, um, and the fact that he's like, you know, he's a solid defender too. Like the maybe you get him in there a little bit more. Um, he's been a huge plus minus piece for state this season. Um, I looked this up last night. I'll see if I can pull the numbers up here in a second. But with O'Connell on the court, they've just been a better team this season. Like long story short. So more O'Connell um, and like, yeah, maybe you need to find like whatever the, the, the platoon that's happening with Middlebrooks in, in, in Burns, like maybe you need to sort of like scramble that around a little bit. So instead of it being, instead of it being 60, 40 Burns or 65, 30, you know, 65, 35 Burns, maybe it's closer to 50, 50 maybe you get a little bit more Middlebrooks out there. Um, and I would also like put an emphasis on like driving the ball. And and that's really where I would like look towards Jaden Taylor. And like, yeah, like, it's so easy for me to say this. Like it's hard to just like, you can't just take the ball and just drive straight. Like there's defenders in your way, but like Taylor with his athleticism, his length, um, I would look towards Dennis Parker jr. More too, uh, as like, as far as like athleticism and guys who can do stuff with the ball. Um, I would be I would be encouraging the players to drive as much as possible because like state's got to get state's got to touch the paint more. They've got to get the ball at the rim more. They've got to cr- draw more fouls. Um 
And then I would also like, I do think states going to have to find ways and this can be both scripted and it can be both on the players. So it's, I'm, I'm not putting this on just the coaches or just the players, but like they've got to, they've got to make sure the ball stops getting stuck on one side of the court so much. And like with a Burns post up, that's kind of tough, but they've got to do a better job of, even if it's with a post up with Burns, they've got to get those. Uh, you saw them do this a decent amount last year. They've done it some this year, but like if you're going to post Burns up, then make sure either Parker Jr. or Mo Diara, like if they're in the dunker spot, they need to be setting a flare screen for the guard who's spotting up in the corner. So that Burns, even if there isn't a double team, he still might be able to skip it out to that weak side corner. And before the, the defender can rotate back out to DJ Horn or Casey Morsell, Diara or Parker Jr. are going to be there setting a, a, an off-ball flare screen to hopefully create a catch and shoot that way. And then looking to slip those screens too, um, I would try to find more ways to just get a little bit more movement into the offense because um, the defense is good. Like the defense is there. You just, the offense just can't, it can't, it, it's not good enough to be the 100th best offense in the country. Like it's just not, it's not good enough. And they've, they've got to, they've got to bump that back up. And if they're able to do that, like they have the chance to make some noise because the defense is good, but they've got to become more, less predictable. They need to get more movement and they've got to touch the paint more than they are now. And, um, and I mean, that's hard to do because they're a little limited in terms of personnel. So, um, but I, that's where I would, that's where I would start. And that's where I would focus a lot of my, um, uh, like a lot of my resources towards. Yeah, the continued emphasis on repeating the same thing over and over, you know, that's like the, the definition of insanity. And it's like, it's it's hard. You know, I don't want to, you know, be too dismissive because I know Kevin Keats is, is a, he's paid to be a professional basketball coach, but it's like, uh, is he watching the game film back of these games and saying like, okay, yeah, we're just going to keep doing that. Uh, and game after game, thinking, you know, eventually this is this is going to work. Just keep shooting. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep throwing it to Burns. Um, you know, we, we will never know exactly how much of a different voice Richardson was in the huddle in the Wake Forest game when Keats got kicked out. Um, but they started doing exactly what you're saying, Brian. They stopped shooting threes because they weren't going in. And they took the ball to the rack and... They went to the free throw line and they made free throws. Um, they they showed the ability to change course when one avenue wasn't working, and then they shifted. Because I think that that's been the major frustration that people have continually over the years with Kevin Keats is just kind of knocking your head against the wall of you know um, just trying to shoot your way out of a slump, and you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there uh, without sort of a plan B, C, D of like, okay, this didn't work. Now we're going to go. Cause you can see in the first matchup with UPA, Tony Bennett went back to the lab and he was like, okay, we're not going to get beat on this again. And we're playing them, you know, re- you know, in two weeks. And when they come to our house, we're going to be doing this and this and this so that they, they don't get us again. And, and that's exactly what happened. The, um, you know, it's interesting because like, I did think last season Keats had sort of like, I thought he had sort of like figured out, the formula a little bit 
mostly because like the addition of Burns, you know. And I thought the Mahorchic addition was like I thought he had found the exact kind of center he was looking for too. Like I thought he had like kind of figured that out. And I think like Middlebrooks is like a good facsimile, like in, for for Mahorchic. Like I see some similarities between the two. Um, but State last season, for one, it was the first time they've been like a good defensive rebounding team under Keats. And like part of that is like state switches a lot, right? And so like teams that switch a lot, as state does one through four quite frequently, like, you know, you can be a little disadvantaged on the glass. Like how many times did you see Braxton Beverly trying to, you know, <laughs> box out a six foot nine guy? You know, <laughs> like it's just yeah. these things happen if you're gonna like switch. Like it's one of the trade-offs. But last season they were like a good defensive rebounding team in part because of I mean, like Jack Clark was a really good defensive rebounder for them. The guards rebounded. Um, you know, Burns, Mohorchic, Ross, um, and, uh, and, um, oh my God. Yeah. Ross and Gant. Um, and it also, it sort of seemed like Keats had figured out like, okay, with this, but I need more than one, like, sort of like plus pick and roll guy, because like, if there's a night when one of them doesn't have it rolling, I can try to go to the other one. And then to have Burns as the post-up guy means you've got two different pitches to throw at teams now. Like you've got the spread pick and roll and state's got a bunch of, you know, a dozen or so, whatever ways they can get into that. But then when that's not working, then you can just go high low to burns. You can clear out a side. You can post them up. If the double team comes, boom, kick out the shooters, boom, find cutters. Um, and then like, they just didn't find, they were all unable to get someone in the portal that could replace the like the the like on ball pull up gravity that Joiner and and uh, and Smith had, um, and I I don't remember quite exactly like what are the, what other guards you know they were close to getting and and didn't get or whatever, but like Joiner and Smith leaving was entirely predictable. Like you knew Joiner was gone, and there was a ninety nine percent chance that Terquavion was going to go last year, and so just like they didn't quite figure it out, but like one of the advantages of playing the way that Keats does and I on offense, if I do think it's important to point this out, though it started to like backslide a little bit in ACC play is like that kind of high volume pick and roll offense. And it's true of when they really go into like the Burns low post offense too. It does, it does like deflate your turnover numbers, right? Like there's going to be fewer passes. There's going to be more shots. Granted, they're not like, the best shots in the world. Like it means you're taking like more pull up twos or whatever, but like last year they were what top five nationally in, in turnover rate on offense. They were that uh, as of like a week ago, I'm not sure what what's happened the last couple of games. They probably slid a little bit, um, but like that is one of the strengths. So like their thing in the, and then last season, they were also like a pretty good offensive rebounding team. And so it's sort of like what it looked like they had figured out was, we're just going to take 10 more shots per game than the opponent because like, we're not turning the ball over. We force a lot of turnovers. We're doing a pretty good job on defensive rebounding glass. And we're, we're like an okay, but like not bad offensive rebounding team. So just like they were taking way more shots per game than their opponents were. Um, you know, they've regressed on the defensive glass this season. And my guess is they're turning the ball over a little, a little bit more. And then, yeah, like those pull-up twos are coming out of the hands of Casey Morcell, not Jarkel Joyner. And like, I mean, I think Morcell is like a perfect example of like how the team has shifted. Like last season, he was in such a narrow role, catch and shoot, right? Spot up. And he was excellent at it. 
Um, in this season, he's having to do like way more stuff with the ball, right? And like that's just like he can kind of do it, but it, it's not really, it's not really like what he's best at. And it's also then taken away from him as like a spot up shooter too. Earlier in the year, it seems to me like they were playing, they were doing a whole lot more off the ball screen than they have in the past. It just seemed to me that, but it seemed like they're not doing that as much anymore. I mean, there was there was some games where they were setting double screens down under the basket for a guy cutting off of that, and also. They were using a lot of Iverson cuts at that point, too, with the double screens at the top. And it's just they're not doing that as much anymore. Uh, I don't know. And you mentioned Ernest Ross. You know, he hasn't seen the court at all. And I honestly, you know, I'm not at practice, so I don't know. But he was really good at cutting the basket last year and getting behind him. I mean, he was really good at that. So, you know, maybe you should try that at some point, too. Tinker with that a little bit. Yeah, I don't don't know what's happened with Ross this season. I was sort of, I mean, you could find stuff that I wrote before the season. Like I was sort of banking on that being a, a big part of uh, of State's offense. Like I thought the Burns Ross like high low cut game was was a big piece last season, and, and Burns and, and Gant sort of like found that too. But it was really like think about the win over Miami January last year, just like how important Ross was in that game, and like. I think Ernest was a huge lift to last year's team because he was pretty unique on that roster in terms of his like length and like run jump athleticism. And like now they have Diara and they have Parker. So like they've got more of that, you know, they're, they're a little bit more, um, they're, they're like, they've just got a little bit more athletic, uh, pop in the front court this season. But, but even then, you know, just Ross at, with his length, with his ability to finish at the, excuse me, his ability to finish at the rim. Like I know he's had some injuries, so that's probably a big part of it. And then just like the front court room is, you know, is crowded. So like, it's not easy to just come in and immediately be gifted minutes because Diara and Parker jr. Are both play very hard and are good. So like, and you can't play all those guys together necessarily. Um, I mean, I guess you could try to play Ross and Parker and it just, it would be in, 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 um, Diara, but it would be a pretty limited all lineup in terms of shooting. So, um, and then yeah, I mean, like state, the, like the iris and screens and the side pick and roll is sort of like the bread and butter of the Heat's offense. Um, that's that's one of their primary ways, if not the primary way that they that they get into pick and roll action. But you could even see when they played, um, man, when they played Wake the other week, Wake was so ready for those plays. Like I think multiple times, uh, Boopy Miller and Hunter Salas, maybe Kim Hildreth, like jumped passes because State was sort of just kind, like they just weren't like cutting and cutting and screening hard, and and it's just so predictable to see what they're what what they're trying to do. They there was at least one or two turnovers or one or two extra deflections, at, like on like the initiation pass because simply because like State wasn't like being crisp with how it was like was trying to execute those Iverson looks. So, um, but I think they should also try to get into more of that because that gets them into empty side pick and roll. Um, and, uh, that might, that might be a good way to kind of get into some screen roll actions with, uh, with Middlebrooks. Like that was a hit for them with he and, um, and, uh, DJ Horn in the Wake Forest win. What would you think about some snug action that can really that can utilize Burns's shooting touch in the in the more mid range? So you're you're saying like like snug pick and roll like that kind of yeah. like 
sort of like uh like you know f- like like mid post pick and roll is that what you're yeah talking yeah. about specifically yeah, you can, you can yeah i think it's not, burns i think it's not a bad idea like burns would be it would be a nice way to like get carve him out like a little bit of space you know um in the like in his like money areas of the floor like that sort of like mid short mid-range area um no, I don't. I don't. I don't dislike it. I actually think you could even use Parker to like to to run it. Um, and it be maybe wouldn't be a bad way to get him kind of like driving, trying to like put pressure on the rim too. Um, the question with that is like, how are you spacing the floor around it? Um, you've got you know, are you making sure that you've got enough shooting out there to kind of like keep the paint open enough? Um. Yeah, that play can be very effective. A couple of seasons ago, Virginia used it a lot. Um and uh and that was also like the the premier money play of like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Clippers. So part of that was like, you know, you have an incredible, like, you know, fast athletic like dive guy and, and a guy like Blake Griffin, and then you've got like a very good decision maker at point guard. So um but yeah, I, I don't like, I mean, at this point they should be cons- trying, I think just about anything. And with those snug looks too, it's closer to the basket, but you're still getting like some of the empty side benefits of just like the help coverages being like a little different because everyone's going to be spaced to one side of the court around it. Do you buy Diara as a shooter at all? Because they've done a fair amount of, they had some stuff early in the year. They attacked, it was against Vanderbilt. They attacked some ices with some ghost actions for Burns, but obviously he can't shoot outside of 15 feet. But I've always been intrigued by Diara's shooting. I think it like looks good, mm-hmm. but he hasn't really taken enough of them to really have any built any knowledge of if he can get into a groove or what kind of shooter he can become. Yeah, this is actually I've I've written about this a few times at a few different places over the years. Like it's been a little disappointing that like I think one of the best offenses that states had under Keats was year one, um, because who was the center that year? It was Amir year seven, and he was a monster that year. <laughs> like he was a total beast. He was, and uh, that was because he could pick and pop, or because he could pick and roll and get downhill, and he could finish on the. And like, look, he's an NBA center, so you know, big time player. But also, when teams would try to ice and keep those looks on one side of the court, Markel Johnson would just flip. I mean, there was a win they had against Clemson. I can, like, I think at PNC that I can, like, close my eyes and still see. And, like, your seven must have hit a couple pick-and-pop threes where he was just, like, wide open when Clemson was trying to ice those ball screens. And, like, that's an automatic read. But, like, State has not had a... I mean, they tried it with Thunderbird, right? Like, they would... They tried to see if he could become, like, a pick-and-pop guy. Um never really happened in like every other center you know Bates no non-shooter Wyatt Walker non-shooter Abdul Malik Abu non-shooter um I mean you know Leonard Freeman was on on that initial team too but also non-shooter um any of the other you know uh any of the other Jalen Gibson you know non-shooter E.B. Dewana non-shooter like when they've when they've been able to like open up pick and pop looks it's always been because they had like a four that could stretch the floor a little bit you know Helms Dorn before him Jack Clark you know didn't make a ton of threes last season but he shot a lot and I think teams still had to guard him and he could shoot off movement um and one of state's bread and butter plays is they go Iverson screens into his side pick and roll 
and then if the four man is coming over, they will slip and then slip towards the corner. So they're there for a pick and pop. Dorn Hellum scored a lot off that. CJ Bryce too. Um, and they've tried that with Diara and Parker this season. It's just like those guys, neither one have like shot great on jumpers this season. And so yeah, I don't quite like it's cool that he can try it. Um, but at this point, there's just not much to go off of. And if you're using like free throw percentage as an indicator of overall shooting, um, you know, he's not a very good, he's in the sixties in terms of free throw percentage too. I think last off season I looked up, I want to say in Juco, he shot like a semi decent clip, but I'd have to double check on that. I think there were like reasons to like, think it might be a, might be a part of the offense. But at this point, like he's four of 18 on threes. Like it just, I don't think he's shooting it with a, with a ton of confidence. Hell, even Ernest Ross, they tried to have him like shoot threes last year too. It's like yeah. state has tried to develop these like, you know, fours and fives or like fours and a halves and fives that could shoot. But like, they really haven't been able to find a front court player that could threaten defenses as, as both a dive person and picking and popping out since you're at seven. And like, that to me has just been like kind of a miss and look like maybe you thought Isaiah Miranda was going to be that or whatever. Um, it did, you know, that obviously didn't happen, but like, I, the state either. yeah, I just like, I feel like it's, I feel like it's an, it's an issue that they haven't found someone who could, who could uh, like, those guys are hard to find. Like they don't six, 10 guys that shoot threes. Like don't, I mean, like, I don't want to like knock them too hard. Like, like there are more, there are more of those guys now than there were a decade ago. But they're still yeah. like don't grow on trees, you know. Like, I want to know where Kentucky found that seven-two Croatian guy that was out there hitting th- every three known to man last week. It it does. He I will say that guy does. It's like wild that like, I like Leonard Hamilton must be kicking himself that like he <laughs> wasn't the one that like. <laughs> but it's funny because like. I mean, Kentucky has a couple, like, they have another guy, Aaron Aaron Bradshaw is another, like, seven-foot freshman center that can, wants to, like, float around and shoot threes, too. I mean, this Kentucky team's super loaded. I mean, the, the other, like, the, like, if we're just, like, bringing up Kentucky, I mean, like, this is stating the total obvious, but, like, you know, if this state team has Rob Dillingham, like, yeah. It solves so many, like all these issues we've been talking about half court creation and the pick and roll game and it not really hitting like you wanted to. Like if you had Dillingham, it's like he solves like 90% of those. Like, like you just have a, a top 10 pick, you know, running your offense. And um, I mean, he's in a, he's in a good situation in Kentucky. I, I mean, he's played very well this season. I think he's improved his stock. So like good for him. But um, yeah, like if, if Dillingham's here, it, it, it would simplify mm-hmm. so many things for them and i think it would allow every other guard to like fit into a better role horn could spot up more or cell would spot up more um those guys would see you know easier coverages easier defenders um but you know they you know he he plays for kentucky so they don't mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not a solution is this, now. Uh, is this kind of a situation where we kind of hope that paul mcneil could have come a year earlier <laughs> Yeah, maybe because he's been he's been pretty incredible so far this season, right? Um, and it does seem like he, I've not seen any like McNeil film yet, but I've seen and heard of the scoring prowess that's been on display. And um, yeah, if he is that type of like pick and roll shot creator, that's like I mean, it's exactly what State needs. Obviously, someone like Dillingham is like he's such a creative passer 
um, that it would really, really unlock different stuff. I don't, I don't know where McNeil is as like a like you know all court playmaker, um, but that's certainly something that like Dillingham can really has a, a lot of to his game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy for him because you know he's probably going to get paid more than he might have otherwise. But yeah. it was really frustrating that in his very first collegiate game, he just came in the game and immediately started balling out. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. He, he was he was ready for the limelight. Um, yeah, and it, it was he's yeah, obviously really impressive. But you know that does shed a light on recruiting because there have been all of these guys where it seems like Kevin Keats has recruited the same type of athlete over and over and tried to develop them into shooters rather than recruiting shooters and trying to get them to play to his style of offense. And it doesn't seem like it's worked out very well. And, you know, he has stated for a long time that he wants to be a heavy three-point shooting team, but, you know, where has he recruited his Scott Wood type? You know, where has he gone and gotten a guy that you know is a reliable 45-plus percent three-point shooter or something like that, you know, um, that you know you can just uh, kick it to the corner and and get a reliable shot? And, you know, especially, you know, in this day and age of having a big man that can shoot, haven't really been able to to target somebody like that in in recruiting um or really getting like a legitimate power forward you know it really seems like diara and middlebrooks are are kind of along those lines but you know they are uh, outside the norm of the typical forwards that kevin keats has recruited and you know like he hasn't really targeted the position of power forward very much at all which is is kind of frustrating and you know especially playing in the ACC that that's that's a position of strength of so many teams and it, it really seems like they're lacking there yeah he he really has like a type at that position um I think it's interesting that you know Dorn was a, a Gottfried recruit but then he ended up being sort of like the an, an ideal like small ball forward for uh Keats and then it sort of like, you know, a year or two years, yeah, I guess a year later, you know, Jericho Helms comes in. Um, but State, as a team that's trying to run a lot of pick and roll, um, you know, that means they want to, as much as possible, have four round one spacing, right? Um, and so the sort of like prototype four for them, if you think of Dorn, Helms, Jack Clark, you know, I guess Clark was six eight and could really rebound too. But like Dorn was actually a pretty good rebounder when he was at State as well. But like they basically they want guys that can like catch and shoot in that role, and so they can switch right defensively. Uh, they can switch one through four, and then they can space the floor around pick and roll like that. That's really like what they're going for. At least like that's been my read since year one with Keats. Um, and, uh, and that's why a guy like Parker is, was like so exciting for me, especially at the start of the season, because like he seemed to really offer like not only this like incredible like motor and athleticism as a rebounder and a switchy defender, but um, as a guy that could like catch and go and could attack and could like do stuff with the basketball and um, like the later the deeper they go into the season, like the less and less like he's asked to do. Um, 
I'm still very like I think Parker's going to be like I'm very bullish on Dennis Parker Jr. I I don't know how you guys feel, but I I really like him as a player. I think he's going to be good. So, um I think the four rotation is okay. Is like pretty good this year, but there's been in other years like especially like you know, last season they just got so little offense out of it. Um when it, if it was Ross or Gant or or Clark, um and in years past, it's been like pretty jumper dependent with Hellums and stuff too. So, but like that's just part. Of, I think part of that is just like system for for Keats, um, in terms of like what he's trying to do on both sides of the court. I don't know where we're at on the timer right now, uh, but wanted to see. Yeah, I want to talk about Omer Yurtsevin more. That was, that was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're at we're forty eight minutes. But uh, oh, yeah, I, I guess because I wanted to uh, wanted to see kind of. Um, Brian's thoughts a little bit, and 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 everybody else's thoughts a little bit on, uh, you know, is this team going to be in a must-win situation in the ACC tournament to make the NCAA's? It feel it kind of feels like this. Um, I mean, they're going to have some quad one opportunities before the year's over with. So, like, maybe if like one of the best possible outcomes happens then no but no it kind of does feel like this and i mean the game against syracuse kind of feels like a game they they kind of have to have too um simply to just like uh, you know avoid a you know to avoid a like you know suboptimal loss or whatever but yeah no it does kind of feel like it's going to come down to the tournament and them like trying to play themselves in and like not probably like falling up you know on the wrong side of the bubble to me, at least, that's kind of my like vibe at the moment. I, I go back to Wednesday. It was three and zero in the league, and you look at the Boston College win and the and the Notre Dame win. And they should have lost both those games. Um, I think Boston College shot fifty percent from the free throw line, and uh, Notre Dame burned two front ends in the final two minutes. Um, you're very fortunate to win those games. I think that, and I think the Wake game created a little bit of. A little bit of false hope, like you mentioned, Brian. That was a very much an aberration of a shooting performance from Horn. Uh, he had been atrocious against drop coverage until that game. Um, so it, it kind of felt like State was sitting there at uh, at five and one, and you know, pretty realistic to say they should have been maybe three and three. And I, so yeah, I kind of I kind of think that you're going to be in a position where you may have to win the tournament to get into the to the NCAA tournament because I, I don't see how they're going to. I don't, I don't see where the fixes come from on this roster. It's a point I've made about Keats a lot this year is, you know, a lot of people love to complain about the scheme and the system, and you hear that word thrown around so much. But, you know, so, so much of what State does is fundamental to the modern game of basketball, but they just don't have, you know, they haven't had great personnel for most of the time that he's been here. You know, I, I like to compare his rosters to Mark Godfrey's, and there's not many of Keats's rosters that I would prefer over Godfrey's now certainly I would prefer Keats as a coach over Godfrey but um <laughs> I think I think that's 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 been his big thing as you look back at the the players that should have been here that weren't and how many of those guys could solve these problems like look at a guy like Yurtsev and we already talked about what he could do right he completely changed the pick and roll offense right uh Shaquille Moore was was a budding three-level scorer I wouldn't say he was fully there or anything but he could make threes he could make floaters he was very quick. He could he could beat someone off the dribble and, and finish at the rim, right? He had those elements that were showing up. Um, McHugh most likely had all of that, but shooting. Talk about Dillingham, but these are all guys that 
you know, could fix these problems that, that have stunted State's offense at times. And, and to me, like, no matter what happens with Kevin Keatson, you know, this is, at least to this point, the defining characteristic of his tenure is the guys that haven't come here. It's a reoccurring theme. It is. It, you know, and that's, it's just a fact. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, you know, I think, I think I agree with that. Like, I think we probably have to win the tournament and make the, uh, the ACC tournament to make the, to make the NCAA tournament. I, especially the way it's been going. I mean, it's, we're not headed in the right direction. So, I mean, there's not a game on the, on the schedule that you can say, oh, we're going to win that game. There's just not. I mean, they, they made it a game with Louisville. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a struggle every night for them. And they have to, you know, they're going to have to find a way to win some games if they want to even have a chance to go to the NCAA. Continually going into those uh, things where they show the graphic on the bottom where it's like NC State hasn't scored in like 4.05 and it's like clicking up. And then it's just to have that happen two or three times throughout an entire game is is really frustrating because you, you know, they probably went a total of, you know, 12 plus minutes in, in stretches without scoring the basketball um, in a regulation game. That, that's. Yeah. You kind of can't, you can't do that. The the uh, the the broadcasters during the Virginia game last night, Jay Alter and, and Malcolm Huckabee, they they kept especially early on when it was the scoring was so depressed, and they kept being like, "Oh my God, the defenses are incredible in this game." And I was like, <laughs> I mean, kind of like the offense is really bad right now. And in and like, look, like it's college basketball. You're going to have some off shooting nights. And if you're going up against a good defense that, that can really compound things. But like, it was pretty obvious that like state's process wasn't good. And that's what I keep coming back to is like, I don't routinely this season, the process on that side of the floor has like not felt good enough. And, and you know, I don't need to rehash all the reasons for, for why I, what's I, you know, for why I think that's occurring. But uh, but I just do think that that's important. That like, it it's not just um, in a game like that. It's not just that you're going up against a good team and that basketball is hard. But it was just like I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out what they were trying to like accomplish outside of like when they would give the ball to Burns. And at that point, it's like you know, it's like anyone could figure that out. If it's single coverage, he'll try to score. If it's a double team, he'll pass. You know. Um, yeah, the, the the tape is pretty clear on, like you've said, on on what to do when when Burns get the ball, and even like UVA was playing him. I wouldn't even say they were playing him one on one. It was almost like one on one and a half because they would have the second big man hedge into the passing lane, and that that seems to be one of the. If you're not going to send a blueprint, uh, if, one of the blueprints. If you're not going to send a double team, you're going to at least have a, a second defender just blocking his his way of passing out uh you know uh of that defense so that way you're eliminating his ability to score in the post and you're eliminating his ability to pass out so then the ball is just stuck yeah well uh hopefully things turn around for nc state basketball <laughs> uh, this was really sad <laughs> this was bleak, guys i mean yeah, we're pretty yeah i mean we're gonna I mean, be we were pretty we were pretty down after the Duke loss in football, but um, you know, we had the similar conversations where we were yeah, like, we "They're did. not going to win another game this season. This is pretty bad, pretty bad." <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe Dave Doran maybe Dave Doran's what they need. Just have Dave Doran go into the locker room and just we stand just need, there. 
we just need Kevin to uh, Kevin to cuss out Steve Smith. Well, you need Steve Smith to come out and say that State's definitely a football school now, and then, and then yeah. Kevin Keys can say, "I'm going to kick Steve Smith's ass," and then the team will turn it around after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be tight. So yeah, they should go with that approach. Uh, make it happen. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be like totally doom and gloom with them. Like, they they still they are like. I mean, I, you know, caveats aside, like they are five and three in the ACC. Like, of the losses they've had this season, I mean, they've all been to good teams, including like three of the top ten teams in the country with with UNC, BYU, and and uh, in Tennessee, and like, and they they were in they could have won all of those games too. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so those games were like you know coin flips until the end, but like. Again, that BYU game is another one of those sort of like offensive process games where it was like they're spacing the court and running five out and chucking threes and like states just like, you know, punching the ball into burns and like trying to get, you know, twos off of it. So um, that game was sort of like frustrating down the stretch too, to an extent. So um, I don't know. It's not like I, I think it's encouraging that like they clawed back into the game last against against UVA. They almost won, um, and that the defense is good, and they and it's not like smoke and mirrors. Like they legitimately have good defensive personnel. They're pretty connected on that side of the court, and they play hard. Um, it's just like if they could do anything to sort of like nudge the offense in the right direction, like they might have something here. Um, it's just like they don't have that many levers to pull. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Well, uh, we should. We have to at this point uh, get to our our question of the day, uh, and 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 that's kind of every week, Brian. We we like to do a question that is is maybe not related to NC State in a way. Uh, one week we had a question about Pop Tarts and our favorite Pop Tart flavor, and that uh, is still to this day the the greatest moment in Lotcast history: the debate between uh, Alec and Assad over uh, over Pop Tarts. Uh, last week we talked about cars. Uh, this week, the, the question is a little bit more sports-related. The, the question of the day is, what is the best niche sporting event that you've ever attended? Am I, am I answering this one first? You go, go for it. Right. Yeah, oh, sure. All right. Exciting question. I love this. And I'm sad that I missed out on the Pop-Tart in car discussions because that sounds <laughs> pretty cool, too. Um <laughs> I just, a couple, just know two, that Trey was wrong with the brown sugar cinnamon. That's all that matters. No, no, no. <laughs> we're doing this again. Man. Yeah, like, let's let's bring. All right, I'm I'm here for it. Um, God, I love pop. They're so good. Um, but uh, and I think I think it was 2016. Uh, I went to an indoor football game at Dorton. I live in Raleigh. Um, and. I took one of the kids who was uh, interning with me at the company uh, I, where I was an employee at the time. There was a kid that was interning with us. He really wanted to go to this indoor football match. Uh, I don't remember what the team from Raleigh was called, but they were playing the Triangle Torch, which was the team from, I think, Winston-Salem that came in. It was at Dorton Arena, which is a, just a, a weird and delightful arena. I would really like recommend spending some time in there because uh, it's just like such a perfect like relic from like a bygone era. Um, so it was like cool to like see a sporting event in there, but it was an indoor football game and 
it's on like a 20 to like, you know, it's probably like a 30, 40 yard field, like in terms of like length. I don't know how wide it was. Um, but basically it was sort of just like a green like carpet that had been like rolled out on top of like the like concrete floor <laughs> of Dorton Arena, and then just like hockey boards lining up along the sides. Incredibly violent, uh, incredibly dangerous. Um, no winners that day. Uh, but I had a good time. So yeah, I'll go with that. Semi-pro indoor football game at Dorton Arena uh, in Raleigh a couple years ago. Yeah, I um, similar golf event. Um, there was a, I think it was the the Jimmy V uh, golf event that they used to do in Cary uh, back then. I don't know. If, I don't know if they still do it. Um, it's a different thing now. Yeah, but yeah, this was going on uh, twenty plus years ago. Um, and Rich Eisen was there, and he was like commentating live. Uh, you know, with like a. a microphone and loudspeakers with all the celebrities that were coming up and Charles Barkley was there and, um, you know, uh, Jerry Stackhouse and a few, uh, Carolina hurricanes players were there. Um, so, uh, we had so, uh, a friend of ours that actually had a house on the golf course. We just like went to their house and got to like, just like walk, walk the course during the, during the tournament. And that, that was a lot of fun. And the Hurricanes had just made the conference finals. I think they'd made the Stanley Cup finals the year before. Um, so that that was uh, pretty cool because it was Rich Eisen was like, and now you're st- defending Eastern Conference champions, you know, Carolina Hurricanes. And that, it, oh, it was, so this was like 2003, 2004. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is d- definitely uh, – I'm dating myself here. But uh, <laughs> that, that was – that was a lot of fun because it was it was you know definitely you could see uh, a different side uh, of the celebrities and um, Charles Barkley just like walked past us and he was like mad about something just cursing out somebody that that had like made made him angry that day for for some random reason and you know, so I was like was Charles Barkley two feet away from me just like dropping all these set bombs and stuff that was, that was pretty fun. <laughs> I'm mine? curious to see if Alec and I have the same one. I'm curious. I doubt it. Mine would be a bass fishing tournament. Oh, um, no. Okay. I've been to like 250 of those. I've been doing that since I was in high school. So that would be the, the easy the easy pick for me. I've also um, I've been to a lot of like local small um, amateur NASCAR leagues and, and like stock car racing, mm-hmm. which is really fun. There's one in Wake County. I actually had no idea was here until a year ago called Wake County Speedway. If you're in the Raleigh area, it's actually a really good time. Um, it's it's it was quite fun. And I've been to if you ever been around the Winston Salem area, Bowman Gray out there, which is was. Oh, I was gonna yeah. I was I was gonna ask if you've ever gone to any of the like quirky race events that they have at a uh, at a uh, over at Bowman Gray. I've only been once um i think it was like just like a pretty pretty regular scheduled thing i don't but it's funny to like it's it's funny to just see the differences and like the different models mm-hmm. that are out there racing like like there was uh at, at wake county there was a uh, like a basically basically go-karts like tiny little tiny little dangerous as hell things and uh where is like, where is that speedway oh, it's basically garden. where is it 
it's it's yeah, pretty close yeah, to yeah. Garner. Yeah, it's like really really far south down. I think it's I don't know what the road name is anymore. I forgot. It's like what twenty five minutes from from like central Raleigh area. It was like in a place that I had like been to before. I had no clue it was there. It's kind of like tucked away, way in the back, and it's like pretty run down, but it's like pretty fun. Yeah, we almost saw like two like seventeen year old kids that were like in the race, like getting a fist fight. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. One of them like wrecked the other one. Yeah, it was nuts. So those are really really fun. Even if you're not like into racing, those are like really good times. So yeah, I recommend those. And uh, with all the money that I've spent on fishing, I do not recommend that you get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, uh, I almost said the Indy 500 just because that's kind of becoming a niche, a niche event. But the one that, that I'm going to say uh, is actually one Alec went to also. I don't know if you remember this at all, man, but uh, the, the rodeo at PNC Arena. Oh, yeah. We went to the rodeo at one year. And there's a moment I'll never forget. The One of the rodeo... Oh, what I think riders. Yeah, boy, the bull riders got bucked. Radio clown. Radio clown. The radio yeah. clown got 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 bucked off of a of a bull and got taken to Lake Med. And we're all sitting there and we're we are watching the rodeo. And then, like two hours later, at the end of the rodeo, they bring the radio clown back, and he's clearly concussed. <laughs> I mean, he is not there, and they parade him around the rodeo. Like, he was their tough guy of the night. That's oh actually a story because we, I was like, I was like four, and my parents were like excited to like take their kids to this cool event that's happening. And like, like forty five seconds in, this guy gets drilled in the face with a bullhorn and like blacks out on the ground. And, and my dad's like, "Shit, this was bad." <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably the most niche niche sporting event I've been to, other than watching club rugby on the on the river in Philadelphia. But uh, other than that, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've I've watched a lot of late night niche sports on like ESPN, the Ocho, and like uh, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff they show. Let random stuff for it's like. Uh, cornhole and I've watched a lot of rodeo on tv and like you know just off off season curling you know it's mm-hmm. just like <laughs> if you watch espn news at like two o'clock on a sunday you'll see like air mattress racing or like i want to do that i also <laughs> forgot i went to a and i went to a pbr event professional bull riders in charlotte one time and Man, those guys are crazy. I mean, they're, they're just not. absolutely crazy. A guy yeah. broke his leg. A guy gets a leg broke. You know, the thing came down on his leg and broke his leg. I mean, it, it's just, I, I don't even know how they do it. I couldn't do it at all. No way. Mm-hmm. No. Well, uh, there's no bull about this episode of the podcast. Uh, yes. We were, <laughs> that's going to wrap up this edition. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks again to Brian Geisinger for joining us. And, uh, and go pack. Bye.